0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, August 12th, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, Senators Ernst and Grassley's insulin votes, Iowa Republicans' mixed messaging on law enforcement, and Governor Reynolds puts the so-called fetal heartbeat bill back in the courts. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me this morning are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good morning, Tom.
1: Good morning, Aaron. Lead Des
2: Moines Bureau
0: Chief Caleb McCullough is here. Good morning, Caleb. Good morning, Aaron. We have Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. And also Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Jared. Aaron, a great man once said,
3: feds did a sweep.
0: <laughs> he definitely did that. And finally, Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Morning. Good morning, Todd. Good morning, First up this week, uh, we'll once again go in chronological order here. So we're going back to last weekend, I believe it was, Tom. Correct me if I'm wrong. U.S. Senators Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst were forced to take what I think is fair to say some tough votes in the Democrat-led U.S. Senate this past week, and that's probably not entirely unintentional there. Um, And like the Byrne-Pitts vote before it, this vote also requires some context and background. So Tom, once again, we turn to you to try to explain this uh, heavy into the weeds legislation as succinctly as possible. So let's see if you can beat last week's time. I think you clocked in at about 10 minutes uh, last week on the (laughs) background. Uh. See see if we can do better. But no, but seriously, again, it it is one of those issues where it just requires that info. So, So the bottom line, I'll do the easy part and steal that from you is that the bill would have capped insulin prices at $35 for people with private insurance. Sounds pretty good, but Grassley and Ernst voted against it. Uh, What was their explanation and and what's the context here?
1: Yeah, Um, so I will do better than I did uh, last week. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So the Senate uh, parliamentarian um, ruled that uh, the measure capping out of pocket costs for insulin at $35 a month for those on private insurance violated a budget rule and stripped it from the overall package. Senate Democrats, though, were able to preserve a cap on insulin costs for seniors on Medicare um, and then took up a vote to waive the procedural objection and keep that insulin copay cap in the bill. But the vote failed uh, with Ernst and Grassley joining other Senate Republicans and overriding Democrats' efforts to waive that budget rule. Grassley tweeted that his vote was quote, not about insulin, but about Democrats ignoring um, budget rules in the Senate, um, and went on to say that he supported another far narrower insulin amendment that was offered by Louisiana Republican Senator John Kennedy. That amendment would have provided for discounted insulin for low and middle income Americans. Uh, Republicans argue that the amendment addressed the pricing issue without violating Senate rules. Um Again, uh, that amendment failed on a 50-50 party line vote with Democrats opposed, saying that it didn't go far enough. Grassley also noted that the Democrats bill did not contain things like accountability or transparency measures for pharmacy benefit managers included in legislation he sponsored and introduced as an amendment. Um, and noted that he's pursued other avenues to reduce the cost of insulin, including uh, leading a bipartisan investigation into in- insulin insulin prices with uh, Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon. Ernst also argued that the cap alone doesn't do enough to solve the underlying problem of rising prescription drug prices, and said she supports Grassley's Prescription Drug Pricing Reduction Act, which would, among other things, prevent Medicare Part B and D drug prices from rising faster than inflation. Um, Grassley claims the legislation would save seniors and Americans with disabilities, seventy-two billion dollars in out-of-pocket costs in Medicare Part D, and that it would save taxpayers about ninety-five billion dollars.
0: Yeah, and that, and I, and you hit on what I think was the keys in there. Um, you know, like like you said, Senator Grassley said it. It, it wasn't about his vote wasn't about insulin, but I think it's fair to say um, we'll probably see a campaign ad at some point this fall. <laughs> right. Despite his protest to, to, to that. Right. The, 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 the campaign ad writes itself. It's good to say Senator Grassley voted against low prices for insulin. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, and but, you know, Grassley has argued and will continue to argue that. Um, that he couldn't support the overall bill that, um, you know, reiterating, you know, familiar arguments, messaging from, from Republicans arguing that the Inflation Reduction Act will, you know, not, um, not, not do much to significantly reduce inflation, at least in, in, in the short term, and that, you know, this, um, provides more spending and, um, uh, tax increases at a time when, you know, we're looking at a potential recession, um, and that, um, Democrats instead, um, should have proposed legislation, his legislation that he argues is bipartisan and, you know, could garner, um, you know, the, the 60 votes, um, in, in the Senate, you know, to be the filibuster without having to go through the reconciliation process.
0: Right, which is what I'm sure he'll argue. And then and, and again, I think why it's also important to note what you did, which is while, while he's right in saying that, I'm sure, it's also true that that legislation didn't go quite as far as the one that, that was voted down. It wasn't expansive. Yeah, so um, not, there you go, um, uh, podcast listeners. You are now educated for when those campaign ads start coming up and when they start yelling at each other during the debates this fall. You've got all the background uh, info on What they're
3: talking about. I I wonder with um, someone like Grassley in particular, who's been around for decades and has like made this an issue repeatedly over the decades. You know, with with medical costs, prescription drug costs, all the things like that. Talking about those repeatedly as a senator, as a candidate, and then still continuing to talk about them even though he's been in office for forty years. At at a certain point, how does he, as a as a candidate and as a senator, kind of square those two things that he's still having to, to promise to to tackle these things.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's really good. I think that's a fair question, you know, because Senator Grassland sure will say, hey, I've been working on this for years. I've supported this and this and this. So well, then the follow-up is, well, how, how come none of those are law? Right. How come none of those things are, are on the books? Yeah, uh, another, another good point. And, and obviously, uh, like we said, uh, something we're, we're – hundred percent gonna um, I, I'm not a gambling person by nature but uh, if there was a if there was a bet on that one go ahead and, and throw your money down on that one coming back up again this fall um, and and you know I, I also got to say uh, Tom good work again podcast listeners I, I don't know if you knew that uh, by the end of these last few podcasts you'd be an expert in Robert's rules of orders and parliamentary procedure so so once again uh, well done Uh Tom, getting into the legislative weeds on these things. We're going to have a lot of uh, uh, experts in in the legislative process. Moving on. Uh, This week, Iowa Republicans held their annual Lincoln Dinner Fundraiser, which featured National Party Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel. The event was in part a celebration of Iowa Republicans retaining their first-in-the-nation caucus status for 2024 largely because of uh, Chairwoman McDaniel. Um, shameless plug, read, read my story to hear what she said about that. Uh, but I to the event, and it was also pretty, um, uh, it stood out to me that there was some pretty stark uh, contrast in how speakers address different law enforcement agencies in our country right now. Uh, while Republicans praised local police officers, uh, State Chairman Jeff Kaufman at one point invited Des Moines Police Chief Dana Wingert, was in attendance to stand and be recognized. Uh, Republicans also and sometimes literally in the in the very next breath rushed to the defense of former President Donald Trump by leveling some pretty heavy criticism um, at the FBI. Uh, so I guess it depended on which law enforcement agency you were a part of uh, uh, on that night and whether you were uh, celebrated or, or criticized. Um, the night's opening prayer uh, delivered by National Committeeman Steve Scheffler even included a reference to the, quote, out of quote, out of control Justice Department. Um, Jared, let me start with you here. In, in the wake of the FBI's search of former President Trump's home uh, this past week, um, we've seen that not, not just from Iowa Republicans, we've heard this from Republicans across the board. Is this, Does this look like the plan it, in, from the party of... Uh, how dare you say defund the police um, is now what sounds to me like trying to delegitimize another law enforcement agency. Is, is that what the plan is here from Republicans?
3: Um, so it's probably worth mentioning uh, first in this discussion, since this just happened yesterday, that there were uh, reports of an armed man standing outside of the FBI's office in uh, Cincinnati, who uh, then got killed by law enforcement a couple hours after in like a rural standoff. And the investigators in that case have been talking about looking into connections that that suspect might have had to uh, far-right extremist groups. So there's that piece. Um, Now, the piece about the folks who have yelled, you know, how dare you defund the police, and they're now talking, at least on social media, about defunding the FBI, some of that is just trolling, like plain and simple. It's basically kind of a game at this point of online politics to kind of concern parrot what your opponents used to say when it's beneficial for you to do. Um, so right now, it's incredibly beneficial for people who f- firmly support uh, President Trump to go after the FBI and all of this. And there's a couple reasons. You know, One, for years now, Trump has talked about the deep state being out to get him. And in that cosmology, there aren't a lot of organizations that are bigger battering rams for the deep state than the FBI. So you've already got that built in narrative that you can work off of. Um, you know, second, there are still plenty of questions that are going to have to be answered and explained about how every little aspect of the, the raid came together and what's been gained from that and all of those things. So in some ways, you know, the cement is still kind of wet and that's when you can play around with ideas of what's really going on, uh, in all of this. And you can start to craft your own ideas and your own explanations about out of control, justice departments and, and everything like that. And then also, you know, uh, groups like the FBI aren't really overwhelmingly popular, uh, with people. I know like just with Republicans, there was a 2018, uh, Pew research poll that found that only 55% of Republicans had a favorable view of the FBI. Uh, support for police is way higher than that, uh, among Republicans. And, you know, that makes sense for a couple of reasons. People have a better chance of knowing a police officer or seeing one in their day-to-day life than they do a Fed of some kind. And then there's a conception of FBI folks as these officers who, you know, live privileged lives and come from elite schools, which isn't entirely unfounded. So when you have all that coming together, then you have a group that's really easy to go after and one that your base is not going to mind if you go after. You're not going to really upset too many people if you attack the FBI.
0: Yeah. um, And Todd, you and I um, had a little exchange on Twitter the other night about this, and silly us hoping that people would kind of hold their water on this and maybe give it 24 to 36 hours before, you know, offering hot take commentary on what the FBI search meant, uh, uh you know, dare to dream. Obviously that.
3: Oh, <laughs> you fools. You poor, yeah, poor right. fools. <laughs>
0: yeah, <right. laughs> uh, such dewy eyed moon calves. Um, but you know, within, so, so we had that, and again, you know, at that Iowa Republican fundraiser, so constant criticism from multiple speakers, Governor Reynolds, Chairman Kaufman, um, some of the uh, Senator Grassley. Um, within 24 hours of that event, um, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland had made a public statement, which is a, one of the things a lot of them were calling for. And then more reporting came out about the search and, and some of the sensitive materials that the agency was after. I, I what. A, Todd, what is the fallout from this? Is is, is this just a hot news cycle item that will be forgotten by the end of the weekend, or is, is there a longer shelf life to this for any reason?
4: Yeah, I, I think there's a longer shelf life. I mean, you've got the Washington Post reporting that this may have been a search for uh, highly classified nuclear weapons documents, which is seems to be a big deal although again <clears throat> we don't know yet because we haven't seen the, the warrant we don't know what they found so i mean but it's you know it's it's like anything there's just a lot of irresponsible knee-jerk reactions to this and and some of them calling for violence uh and and you know that the, the thing that was troubling is that the rhetoric from sort of the quote-unquote mainstream republicans or people who are in elected office was very close to being about the same as folks on, you know, social media saying that there was going to be a civil war. The, I mean, Jared mentioned the guy in Ohio that tried to storm an FBI office. And at this point, there's a truth social account with his name. They haven't confirmed it's his account, but it was talking about, you know, arming yourself and and, and taking to the streets and, you know, all of that kind of civil war type rhetoric that we've been seeing in the last few days. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just it, it's it's sad to see so many people. I mean, and I compared it to we had the, you know, a few weeks ago we had the report on the uh, the ten year old girl in Ohio that had been had been raped and had to go to Indiana to get an abortion, and and conservative commentators immediately lashed out and said this was made up, it wasn't true, and then it turned out to be true, and then they had to sort of backpedal quickly. You'd think right after that happened, they might. Think twice, but that's not the that's not the the world we live in. There's there's no more keeping your powder dry. You just start blowing stuff up immediately. So that's where we're at.
0: Yeah, and the, the the one the the clips that made the round that I got the biggest kicks out of. There was two of them. Um, one where um someone had reported the possibility of violence coming out of this, and that got an eye roll on from some conservative pundit. I don't remember who. Um, and then within literally the next 12 to 18 hours, we had the incident that you were describing. Um, and, 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 and the other one was a a commentator who said anything short of if, if, if the FBI was searching for anything short of the nuclear codes, then this wasn't worth it. (laughs) 12 hours later, Hey, guess what they were looking for folks. Um, the other thing I just want to add to this and, and to folks listening, um, this isn't an attack on necessarily anyone in particular or or a po- political party, but but this feels <laughs> uh, it's a defense of my industry and um, shoot the messenger has become uh, modus operandi uh, lately. So when I see um, a lot of people trying to essentially tear down the FBI for the sake of protecting. An individual—it feels very familiar uh, to what has happened to the to the media over the last, uh, you know, six, seven, eight years. Um, you know, there, there's there's a clear strategy of take the groups that are um, maybe going to call you on your stuff and uh, try to delegitimize them. So when they do that, uh, maybe people won't believe them, uh, and and this is. It, 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 like I said, this whole, uh, the last 24 to 48 hours have felt uh, uh, very uh, familiar. Is that me defending the FBI? I guess that can be a good thing, right? Hey, <laughs> hey, FBI, listen to how much I like you.
4: Uh, well, it's, you know, we, it's, it's okay to defend them, you know, when we don't have any evidence that they did anything wrong. I mean, right. you know, that you needed probable cause to convince a judge in Florida to allow this search warrant to go forward. So now the judge is in, like, hiding because, of course, that's what you, you do whenever you sort of cross the, the Megatrons. But, uh, you know, we, we just don't know. Until we know what they were searching for and what they found, we have no idea whether they were acting irresponsibly or whether this wasn't warranted right. Or, right. or any of that. So, I mean, that's, I mean, to sort of act, talk about defunding the FBI and all of this, you know, garbage before we even know what's happened, all it is is just they're 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 trying to spin this narrative I guess for lack of a better word so that it's sort of like the Mueller report you know but Bill Barr came out and said this is what the Mueller report is it, it actually it wasn't exactly what the Mueller report was, but that filled the vacuum and then that became the that became the narrative that conservatives keep saying to this day was that you know the whole Russian thing was a hoax and all of that and it, it really wasn't. So this is what they're trying to do this time is that, you know, this is the black helicopters, FBI, federal jackbooted thugs that are coming to attack your hero president. Well, I mean, if the hero president took, you know, nuclear secrets and put him in a, you know, in a closet at Mar-a-Lago, I mean, that's that's something I think that I I can see why the, the Justice Department decided that they needed to act quickly on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And this also kind of fits into the whole, you know, we want to believe what we want to believe, right? So if we've got a, a a narrative out there that helps us believe that, and and that's not exclusive to this issue, I'm in the middle of trading emails with a reader who's uh, very clearly very uh, pro-life slash anti-abortion and took exception with a, a piece of my story uh, the other day that noted that um, – uh, of, as we're going to get to here in a second um, there is no fetal heartbeat at six weeks um, despite what that bill is called and um, you know despite my explanations that that's not my opinion that's not my belief this is what the doctors what the medical experts say you know this person doesn't want to want to believe it or wants to believe that only some doctors believe that and 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 wrote in, in the email, well, hey, remember that some doctors were the bottom of their class too. You know, it's, it's just anything you to do to, to convince themselves of something, even when the, you know. So this is kind of part of that greater balloon. Do they
4: even do they even know where the heart is? I mean, if you if you graduated in the bottom of your class, are they wearing their are they wearing their stethoscope backwards? I mean, what, what's happening here?
0: Yeah, no, I know it, and and I mean it's. it's the story quotes the national uh, OBGYN group. I forget their actual name. I mean, I, I, I'm I, sorry that I can't do better for you than that, uh, uh, dear reader, um, to find someone to speak with more authority on this topic than that. But um, And the other thing I, I should throw in here is I make uh, my argument that not suggesting that any entity is above criticism or, or um, you know, um, examination as todd said and and i'm sure it will be this will be reported and and vetted and and if there was uh you know um hanky something at play here then um that will come out but uh, let's let's wait for that to happen before we just decide that obviously this was a ridiculous partisan game uh again dare to dream All right, finally this week, um, it was planned and expected, but significant and noteworthy nonetheless, when Governor Kim Reynolds and her legal team filed the request that the state courts lift the injunction on a 2018 law that would ban abortions at six weeks. Again, I I got ahead of myself here, but you'll hear me calling it the so-called fetal heartbeat law, because as I'm sure everyone, all our podcast listeners did, all read in my story, And as physicians and medical experts will tell you, that's not actually a heartbeat at six weeks, nor is it even technically a fetus. But I digress. Um, Caleb, you also reported earlier in the week uh, that one of the opponents to these uh, abortions restrictions, the ACLU of Iowa, dropped off the 24-hour waiting period requirement to focus its legal energy on this six-week ban. So, So is this the legal battleground now in Iowa, this this so-called fetal heartbeat law?
2: Yeah, so uh, back in June, the Supreme Court decided to let that 24-hour waiting period go into effect. Um, and then the uh, ACLU and Planned Parenthood last Friday voluntarily dismissed litigation around that waiting period. Um, they said they're going to shift their focus to fighting this six-week abortion ban and also uh, the planned potential constitutional amendment that um, Iowans may vote on in in a couple of years. Um, so yeah, this is the legal front that um, it seems like things are going to be fought on now. Um, and as far as process goes, anyone can correct me if I'm missing anything here. But um, as we look forward, I think the the district court could choose to lift that injunction. And then, you know, I'm guessing Planned Parenthood would try to take that to the Supreme Court um, or the court could keep the injunction. And at which point Reynolds and the state would try to take it to the Supreme Court, I think. Sooner or later, it'll probably end up in the Supreme Court, and we'll probably get a more solidified understanding of what type of laws the state can pass to restrict abortion. Um, If you remember in in that June 24-hour waiting period decision, the court kept in place the undue burden standard that was in place in federal law. Um, But they said that pending the results of the Dobbs decision, um, that had the chance to be relitigated. um, And... Now we have the Dobbs decision and, and they got rid of all that. So uh, this will probably be the process to kind of solidify what the legal standard for abortion laws are here in Iowa.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think that's uh, a pretty accurate, Caleb, that regardless of what the district judge rules, this is, uh, I have a hard time believing either side is just going to accept that ruling and not appeal it. This is eventually making its way back to the Iowa Supreme Court, which again, as, as we have talked about in the past and should probably note here again as we talk about that, all uh, Republican-appointed justices and five of the seven by Governor Reynolds herself. Um, Sarah, regardless of what happens, I mean, at this point, the train has left the station and this is a, an issue that's been out there all summer and will continue to be this fall. Do we have a sense yet of whether there will be any political impact from the path chosen here by Reynolds and Iowa Republicans? Do we know... Whether this issue is going to move Iowa voters in any meaningful way this fall, do we have any evidence of that yet?
5: Yeah, that's a great question, and I think you know, obviously, we'll wait and see how the how the November election goes. But um, I think there's definitely some interesting polling to look at at the in the um, Des Moines Register MediaCom Iowa poll um, when they took a look at abortion. Um, you know. It was about a quarter of voters that said that they um, they think abortion should be legal in all or most cases. A quarter of those voters said that they were still going to vote for Reynolds. Um, and so, you know, for some folks that see, you know, think that abortion should be um there should be access to abortion may, you know, that may not be their top issue. And so, um, so I think it'll be really interesting to see, you know, um, how, how this can impact um, voter attitudes and, you know, further in that poll, it's, um, abortion is a really critical issue for about 70% of Iowa Democrats. Um, And so, you know, I could maybe see this being if Democrats and the national, Playbook has kind of seemed to be this is really a key issue for Democrats. That, um, so considering that 56% of Iowans, at least, and, and still a majority of uh, voters nationwide, um, support abortion access in um, most cases. You know, this is a really key issue for Democrats. 70% of Democrats in Iowa think that this is a critical issue, but only 45% of Republicans thought that uh, abortion was a critical issue in the November election. So, um, and 55% of independents thought it was a critical issue. So I think it'll really come down to, um, you know, how this can rally uh, the Democrat base, how the Republicans can rally their base, and if this is, you know, enough to get their voters energized and um, and then where independents land too.
0: Yeah, I, I thought you raised a really important point in there, Sarah, about the difference between an issue that's important to someone, to a voter, and an issue on which they will actually vote, you know, and that's, it, it's easy for us uh, to get caught up in the issue of the day and think that that's going to, sway an election and for and and we sometimes forget that at the end of the day none of these things that cycle through the news ultimately matter and at the end of the uh um you know come november people vote the way they're gonna vote regardless of this now that said i i i think there is the absolutely potential for this one i mean this is a big one um and and again you i think you touched on some important things along this lines too sarah and when it comes to turnout How does it affect the bases, especially the midterm question? I think that's, or in a midterm election, I think that's the question is, who does this issue maybe get out to the polls who might not have voted otherwise? Um, And that goes for both the base and some of those quote unquote swing or persuadable voters, or even maybe, you know, folks who are on one side or the other. And and this convinces them like, uh, I'm going to vote for the other side this time because of how they... Feel on this. I think that's where, especially in some of the close races we talk about, some of these congressional races, um, where this could have an impact. And we don't know yet. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. But 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 I see at least see that potential there when you talk about who it actually gets out to the polls.
3: I I also think we're maybe in. And not all of them are abortion related, but we're starting to see bits and pieces of some good evidence that it also matters who is like the face of these issues when these issues are put. To the ballot because, like, you know, a couple years ago in my home state, Missouri, which is a very Republican state, there was a Medicaid expansion. That wasn't people voting on a a candidate or a politician. That was people voting on an issue, and the issue won out. Just last week in Kansas, there was, you know, the abortion amendment that came up for vote. Again, that wasn't like a candidate running or anything like that. It was an issue, and uh, resoundingly people voted against that issue. So I think. That does come into play, too, when people don't necessarily have the baggage of it being associated with a politician. Some of these votes can start to break a little differently than we might expect.
0: Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. It'll be interesting and plenty more time to talk about it. Uh, it feels light years away, but I'll be here before we know it. At the same time, we are three inside three months until Election Day, folks. It's, it'll go fast, uh, but we'll keep uh, talking about that more. Um, future podcasts. That's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoyed it, tell your friends and subscribe to us on any number of streaming audio services, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon. If you have any suggestions for topics, or if you just want to reach out, you can send an email to podcasts at thegazette.com. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter where every morning in your inbox you'll get the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that on Iowa Politics Newsletter on thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Sea Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Give us those clicks, folks. Feed the beast. Jerry Jacobs will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom, Caleb, Sarah, Jared, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening.